Good morning. It's good to be here. Welcome to Two Rivers Church. Uh, my name is Jason. Um, we're so glad that you're here uh, with us this morning. Week, week two in a series in the Gospel of Matthew, a series that we are calling King Jesus. And that was a fantastic song there to uh, open up. All hail the name and the power of King Jesus. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. And we're here to worship him today and learn in his scripture uh, more of who he is so that we would be more filled of the Holy Spirit uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Matthew chapter one and then uh, put your little uh, placeholder there and then turn over also to uh, Jeremiah 22 and just hold those places. That's where we're gonna be this morning. A few verses in Matthew one. And then we'll look at some context in Jeremiah 22 specifically about the genealogy of Christ. I have uh, called this particular uh, message scandalous genealogy. Uh, We have the genealogy of Jesus in two books in the gospels. One is in Matthew one and the other we find in Luke chapter three. I'll give some context for how those are different here in just a few moments. But let me just give you some context as we get into uh, Matthew 1. As a reminder, we're gonna just cover one chapter per week. And so my encouragement to you is that you're reading ahead uh, before you come here on Sunday and that you're becoming aware of uh, the chapter that we're gonna be looking at. So uh, this next week, be reading Matthew chapter two as we prepare for that next week. Today is Matthew one. And also we're bringing back bring your Bible to church. So we encourage you to bring your Bible to church with you, even a little journal or something to take notes as we dig into uh, the scriptures. My hope is that we are uh, continue to be thirsty for the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, in our lives, Emmanuel, God with us, but also that we are hungry for the word, that we would come hungry to receive what God God has for for us from his word. Uh, I did a Matthew overview last week, kind of all four of the gospels and some things specific to Matthew that is gonna be really important for us in this study to remember each week. And I'll probably bring it up every single week. And the the big point that we need to grab onto around Matthew is that Matthew specifically writes his gospel to convince his Jewish people that Jesus is Messiah. And Matthew himself, Jewish, Uh, writes the gospel, his gospel, so that Jewish people would be convinced of Jesus as Messiah. So it's, uh, when we get into Matthew, it's always this lens. We need to really uh, make sure we're grabbing onto that context that it's always the lens of Matthew convincing his Jewish people of, of Jesus being the Messiah. Here's what Matthew needed to prove in his gospel for Jewish people to believe that Jesus was Messiah. Uh, One is that Jesus was from the tribe of Judah uh, because to be Messiah, there had to be prophetic messianic fulfillments of prophecies from the Old Testament age. And so one of those is uh, Genesis 49 that talks about the tribe of Judah, Jacob and his sons, the 12 sons of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, the Messiah would come from the line of Judah, the tribe of Judah. That's Genesis 49. And also from the line of David. So a descendant of the line of David. So tribe of Judah, line of David. From the line of David, the prophecy is in Isaiah 11 
and Jeremiah 23. So if you wanna write those down, you can go back and read those later. So that, that's what Matthew is out to prove to people so that they would see Jesus as Messiah. But here's the reality about Jesus. Everything about Jesus was unlikely. Everything about Jesus was unlikely. He was born to an unlikely teenage girl and he grew up in a very unlikely place. And the Jewish people were expecting, we talked about this last week as well, the Messiah to be a great military leader taking the place of like King David and and ruling over their enemies. And so they expected and wanted a military earthly king, but what the father gave the world was not an earthly king, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords, a supernatural, eternal king. So, but as the savior of the world, Jesus was none of the things that the Jewish people were expecting. And his genealogy, his family tree, if you will, his, his line, his descendants was real, real messy. And one of the things that we do in premarital uh, that I think is so important when we're preparing couples to be in covenant marriage is to engage with them about the families that they grew up in because for good and for bad, there is a reality of a family of origin and family system when we get married. And every single person would say, you know, my family's not perfect, there's some stuff there's some stuff in my family, some stuff. I mean, there's some baggage in my family. There's some brokenness in my family. And Jesus's family tree is no different. Uh, what's amazing when we look at some of the names in his genealogy, uh, that there are Gentiles there. There are Gentiles present in Jesus's genealogy, uh, which is really, really unlikely. The very people, the very people that the Jews thought that their Messiah would come, was coming to destroy the Gentiles is in the family genealogy of Jesus. So Matthew had to do a pretty good job of convincing Jews that Jesus was Messiah when he had Gentiles in his family tree. Uh, there were women, there are women included in his genealogy, which was never included. Women had no, um, they had no um, authority. They, 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 were, they, they weren't included. Uh, they had no uh, laws. There was no laws. They, they, so, so, so to have a, a, a Jewish and a Gentile woman and women in his genealogy was unheard of for Jewish gene- genealogy. That's unexpected. Uh, adulterers, prostitutes in his genealogy. Here's the point. When we look at Jesus's genealogy, it's this. Jesus came from the same people that he came for, sinners like me and you. He came from the same people he came to save. Um, we think about Matthew being Jewish, wanting to convince his fellow Jews that Jesus is Messiah. Here's some important Jewish context for us to understand. Uh, genealogical records... Uh, were crucially, crucially important, uh, an important part of being Jewish, especially if someone was claiming to be an heir of David. I mean, if if there was a claim that I am from, I am a descendant of King David, then there had to be proof, genealogically proof that that was the case. And so super, super important to the Jewish people. Again, Matthew 1, Luke 3 had genealogies, but they're different. 
And we read those, uh, we, we look at Matthew 1, we, we look at Luke 3, and we go, man, these are, these are different. Um, and they're different because they give us a, a robust, fuller, complete picture of who Jesus is and where he, where he came from. Matthew is the genealogy of Joseph's line. So when we read Matthew 1, what we're gonna see is the genealogy that Jesus is an heir through the line of Joseph, his father. And the trace of that is starts with Abraham and it goes to Jesus. And the line of Joseph is through David to Solomon. So when we look at Matthew 1, it is Joseph's line through Solomon to David all the way back to Abraham. Are y'all with me right now? Now let's compare that difference to Luke. Luke is Mary's family genealogy, and it goes backwards. Matthew's goes Abraham to Jesus. Luke is through not Joseph's line, but Mary's line, and it goes Jesus back to, all the way back to Adam. But here's the nuance that most of us miss because we tend to skip over the, over the gene- genealogies because there's names like Zadok, in there, you know, and it's just like, well, I, don't, I don't know, you know, all, all these uh, weird names, so we just skip over it, but when we read them and we're, and we're thoughtful, what we see in Mary's genealogy is that Mary's line to David is not through Solomon, but through Nathan, one of David's other sons. So Mary and Joseph are descendants of David, Joseph through Solomon, and Mary through Nathan. Are are y'all with me right now? This is gonna be important when we get there in a few moments. So I'm just setting the stage. I'm like, it's like I'm a volleyball player and I just set this ball and you are, it's coming, it's coming. So hold that thought, hold that thought. Okay, Um, let's read the first six verses of Matthew and then we'll begin to unpack some of these uh, things together. So Matthew chapter one, I'm just gonna read Uh, Matthew 1, verses 1 to 6. And also, I'm not great at pronouncing some of these names. So if you chuckle at me when I'm reading a name, just know that if you were up here with this microphone, you might stumble as well. So let's just be honest about that. So I'm not great at uh, pronouncing some of these names, but I'm gonna do the very best that I can. So Matthew 1, 1 to 6. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's interesting, we'll talk about this in a second. Matthew specifically starts with David and then he goes to Abraham and there's a very specific reason why he does that and I'll explain that in just a minute but I want you to see that in the first verse. He calls Jesus the son of David, then he calls Jesus the son of Abraham and he goes all the way back to Abraham, verse two. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brother, so we're thinking the 12 tribes of Israel right now. Jacob, 12 tribes of Israel, Judah. Here's Judah in the line of Messiah. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Tamar? Y'all know who Tamar is? If you don't know who Tamar is, I'm gonna tell you who she is in a few minutes and it's gonna freak your beak because it's a wild story. It's a wild story. Number one, Tamar is a Gentile. So number one right now is we have a Gentile in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And also we have a woman listed. The first woman in the genealogy in the book of Matthew is Tamar. This is, 
This is a scandalous genealogy. This is a scandalous genealogy. Whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, which I just go, I mean, there's a lot of young couples in this church, and we're like being faithful to the, you know, what God's called, be fruitful and multiply. Let me just throw out, like, Ram is a good boy name. I mean, I'm just gonna throw that out there to all you young couples, like, consider Ram. And also, by the way, go Rammies last night. I mean, I mean, you lost to my alma mater, Vanderbilt, and we're terrible. But you are on the up and up if you're a Rammy fan, so go Rammies. But Ram is right here. I'm just saying Ram, Ram is in there. There's another one, uh, verse 14, uh, Azor, the father of Zadok. I just go like, Zadok. That sounds pretty awesome. Just saying. All right, back, 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 back. Here we go. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nishan. Nishan, the father of Salmon. Which, by the way, I love those shoes. Salmon shoes are awesome. Just saying, just saying. Has nothing to do with the name, you know, Salmon, Salmon. Father, oh, we know this name. Salmon, the father of Boaz. We know that name, right? Do you recognize that name, Boaz? Okay, this is starting to get a little bit more familiar. Whose mother was Rahab. Wait, Rahab? That's the second woman listed from Jericho, the prostitute. Yep, that's the one. That's the one. We'll talk about her in a minute as well. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, third woman listed. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been, had been Uriah's wife. I would encourage you to put a box around Tamar's name in verse three, put a box around Rahab's name in verse five, Ruth's name in verse five, and then I have a box around mother in verse six, and to the side I wrote this name. Who is the mother? Bathsheba, Bathsheba. Scandalous genealogy. So let me show you uh, one quick thing, and then we're gonna do some observations of some of the names that we find Uh, on the list. I want to point out the first two words in the Greek of Matthew 1.1. Those are the words. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce these Greek words, but that's what the words, that's what the words are. It's pronounced, these are literally the first two words in the Greek of Matthew 1.1, which is translated in my NIV, a record of the genealogy. So it's usually translated genealogy, but it can also be translated Genesis. And what's interesting, and I had never understood this, I never learned this until uh, this week, that the first two words in the Greek New Testament mirror the first two words of the Old Testament. The first two words of the Old Testament translated in English are what? In the beginning. Same two words in the New Testament. Here's what Matthew is saying. This is the new beginning. This is the new beginning in all things All things are made new in Jesus Christ. So awesome to see this. All right, so let me put the full outline for you up. Uh, This is what we're gonna do over the course of the next 30 minutes or so. Um, And it it doesn't, these outlines, they don't, it's not really a smooth transition for me. I didn't really work hard at making that smooth pastoral transition. 
we're just gonna kind of take these a bullet point at a time. So these are the things that we're gonna, we're gonna look at. So the first point, observations of names that we find in the list. And I wanna start with the famous heroes. The first two names are very recognizable names, King David and Father Abraham. Father Abraham, that many sons, right arm, left arm, nod your head. Stick out your tongue. <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? Youth group growing up? Sarah? Yes, 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 yes. <clears throat> okay. David and Abraham connecting, connecting, hear this, Matthew connecting Jesus to David and Abraham. Why? Because he is convincing Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. He's connecting back, Jesus back to the two Old Testament covenants with David and Abraham. Now, why does he list David first? Abraham came before David. But he lists David first because David is uniquely Jewish. Jesus came first for his people, his people Israel. And so he lists David specifically first because Messiah is coming for his Jewish people. The Davidic covenant is is uniquely Jewish. And then he lists Uh, Abraham second, that Jesus is the son of Abraham because the Abrahamic covenant back in Genesis 12 was that Abraham would be a blessed, he was blessed to be a blessing, hear this, to all nations, all peoples, Jews and Gentiles. And so Jesus is first the son of David coming as Messiah to his people Israel. And then when Israel rejected him, he is the prophetic fulfillment of the son of Abraham, a blessing to all nations, Jews and Gentiles, to which every Gentile in this room says, hallelujah, 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 that God has sent Jesus to save me. Um, So those are the two famous heroes. And then we have some unlikely heroes on the list. And specifically, I wanna talk about these five women because I believe that these five women make this a scandalous genealogy. Um, Jesus came certainly from a family filled with unlikely people, Gentiles, outcasts, sinners. But I think that by far the most amazing thing for us to consider this morning in Matthew 1 in this genealogy is that Um, the inclusion of these five women. Again, genealogies didn't include women. They had no legal status whatsoever. And also three of the five women are from non-Jewish backgrounds. And also three of them had very, very broken sexual stories. I wanna unpack these stories one by one. Tamar, and some of you who might know the story might be like, whoa, wait, the one who pretended to be a prostitute and slept with her father-in-law, Judah? Yep, that's the one. Her story is filled with so much pain at the hands of two wicked husbands. Judah had three sons. Tamar married his first son. And in that culture, in Jewish culture, if you were married and your brother died, then you, so that she wouldn't be a widow and had connection to family, then you would fall in line and marry, marry your brother's widow. Y'all with me right now? But when you read, this is in the, this is in Genesis 38. So write down Genesis 38. I'm not, I'm not going to turn there, but just go, go back and read Genesis 38. And you're like, whoa, whoa, that's in the Bible. Um, so she, she uh, had so much pain at the hands of two wicked husbands that literally the scriptures tell us that God smited them. 
He put them to death because of their evil. And then the youngest son, Judah had three sons. He was too young. And so God said, you know, Tamar, let's wait, wait for him to come of age. Uh, But he abandoned her. Judah abandoned Tamar. And so broken people, broken people do broken, broken things. Wounded people do wounded things. And so in a fight for her own justice, after Judah, after his wife passed away, she pretended to be a prostitute and she slept with Judah and she had a son and her son is Perez and Zerah and Perez, the father of, and the father of, and the father of, all the way to Joseph, the father of Jesus. Judah said this about Tamar in Genesis 38. She is more righteous than I am. She was fighting for justice, for her own justice, because she had been wounded, abandoned over and over and over again. And God, Tamar, you guys, Tamar, God redeemed the story. Jesus came from the line of Tamar. Pain, loss, sin that she was subjected to, redeemed by the Messiah. Rahab, wait, the, gen- the Gentile prostitute from Jericho, the story's in um, Joshua chapter two. Yeah, that's the one, Rahab the prostitute or the harlot. And it can be easy for us, right? It can be easy for us to judge Rahab based on her profession. And we can often, we've gotta be really careful, church family. We gotta be really careful of snap judgments to people based on who they are and what they do. We don't know their story. We don't know what kind of pain and brokenness they've been in. And we gotta be really careful about offering snap judgments on people based on what they look like or where they live or what they do or have done. Because Rahab, who was a prostitute in Jericho, had immense faith in the Lord while she was being a prostitute. That is the story. That is the reality of the story. And yet, the reason scripture refers to Rahab over and over, when you see Rahab in the scripture, almost every single time, it says Rahab the harlot or Rahab the prostitute. Why does scripture always wanna tell us over and over and over again of Rahab? Even in Hebrews 11, which is the famous chapter of the hall of faith of all the people of faith over all the years, Rahab in Hebrews 11 is called Rahab the prostitute. Why does scripture do that? And I think it is to demonstrate the truth that God can redeem anyone, anywhere for his glory and his purposes. No person is ever too far gone for the grace of God and the mercy of God, the redemption of God to change a story to the degree that Rahab is in the family genealogy of Jesus the Christ. Ruth, another Gentile, 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 Gentile. Ruth has a book in the Old Testament, right? A widow with nothing, bankrupt, literally bankrupt, emotionally bankrupt, relationally bankrupt, literally, figuratively bankrupt. Naomi was her mother-in-law, and Naomi could not promise a comfortable future or any financial security for her, so she said to go back to her home. And this famous line in Ruth 1 that we know well, Uh, Ruth said, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. And your people will be my people and your God will be 
my God. And because of that faithfulness of Ruth to Naomi, Ruth was blessed with a husband named, the kinsman redeemer named Boaz. Boaz. And they had a child named Obed. Not sure what they were thinking on that name, but that was the name, Obed. And Obed had a son named Jesse. And Jesse had a son named David, the king. Bathsheba, scandalous genealogy. It's a good chance that you know the story of David and Bathsheba. She was a faithful wife to Uriah, but she caught the eye of the king, King David. Um, In this culture, in this culture, know this, she had no choice. She had no choice but to obey the King David when she caught his eye. Um, a, lot of, a lot of scholars talk about this and I would, I would align with this as well. Um, I believe that this was a, a sin that was done to her, Bathsheba. It says when, and then David, what David did when she was pregnant, you know, you know the story, he put Uriah, his warrior, out on the very front line, effectively murdering Uriah. And it says in the scripture that Bathsheba grieved her husband. Grieved her husband. It was a sin that was done to her. But Bathsheba, in the genealogy of Christ, real faith, real, grounded, authentic faith, often, often, looks like ordinary people trusting God in really extraordinary, broken, hard circumstances. And God, God redeems any, 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 any person in any circumstance for his glory and and his purposes. And then we get to Mary. Mary, the unlikely teenage mother of Jesus, Young girl from a backwater town in Galilee. Galilee? Galilee. Nazareth. Remember what Nathaniel, when he was being invited to come and see Jesus, remember the statement of Nathaniel? Can anything, can anything good come from Nazareth? That just tells you a little bit about the reputation of Nazareth, Mary from Nazareth. Chosen to be the mother of the Savior of the world. Can it get any more unlikely than this? She was betrothed to Joseph when an angel told her that she would be the mother of Messiah. And she faced, know this, she faced all kinds of scorn and shame for what others assumed of her, assumed of her. What an unexpected, unlikely reality, realities for the Messiah to come from a lineage of broken people with broken stories and ultimately be given life by a virgin girl from Nazareth. Jesus removes every barrier. He removes every barrier. I think of what Paul says in Galatians chapter three. It, it's, uh, that verse, Galatians 3.28, reminds me of what we see in Matthew In Matthew's genealogy in chapter one, uh, there is no male or female. There is no Jew or Greek or Gentile in Christ. In Christ, all are one. All are one in Christ. God never sees anyone as ordinary, broken, too far gone 
without hope of redemption. Every person, every person, every story matters. I'm gonna say that again so that you personalize this. Every person, every story matters. I think about these five stories of these five women. They're all stories of scandalous grace. And in reading them, there is an invitation. There's an invitation to say to ourselves, to you to say, my story matters as well. And that those parts of us that we're ashamed of, the shameful places, that we, maybe we want to hide and they should not be remembered and they should not be told. We're tempted to keep those stories in the dark and those broken places of our stories and those shame stories, when they stay in the dark, they remain shame stories. But when they are brought into the light of Christ under the mercy and the grace of Jesus, they become redemption stories. And they become the first things that we can declare about the goodness and the power of God because if he can redeem the life of Tamar and Rahab, he can redeem my life and your life. Our stories might seem unlikely or insignificant or too ordinary or too broken. And we all have things in our past that we would rather hide than bring into the light. But I would, I would invite you to consider Matthew chapter one, Jesus the Holy Spirit who led Matthew to write this gospel was not afraid to share the broken stories of his own family members, even those short stories that were messy and uncomfortable. If I asked this question of you, how would you answer it? Why do you think these stories are included in the scripture? Why not just keep them out, right? Like, why not just keep the stories away? Why did the Holy Spirit lead Matthew to include these stories. And the only, the only answer that I can come up with is the scandal of the, the unmerited favor of God and the scandal of grace. That is why they are here. God's righteous purpose is accomplished despite man's unrighteousness every single time and in every single story, even your story, even today, even now in this moment. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. He is faithful even when we are unfaithful. This is the Messiah, amen? This is Messiah. Uh, point two, point two, observations on how Matthew finishes his genealogy of Jesus. I want you to look with me in your Bible in verse 16. I wanna point out something uh, that we see in verse 16. So he's finishing the genealogy, all the names, the father of, the father of, the father of, and in verse 16, he gets to the father of Joseph, Joseph the, um, who married Mary and was the father of Jesus. But he says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, and then he says, the husband of Mary. Do you notice, did you notice that? The husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Like, this would be one of those verses that I would like just skip over. Yeah, Joseph's the husband of Mary. But the lens of Matthew is, Matthew is writing the gospel to convince who that Jesus is Messiah. Tell me, the Jews. So here's what is important for us to understand about why he specifically says the husband of Mary. He doesn't call Joseph 
Jesus his father because Joseph wasn't the biological father of Jesus. He adopted Jesus, but he was not the biological father of Jesus. Mary, core core Christian doctrine, Mary was a virgin and gave birth to Jesus, the virgin birth. Joseph adopted Jesus, assumed legal responsibility for Jesus. Jesus was an heir. He was an heir because of Joseph, his father. Joseph adopted him, but he was not Jesus' biological father. So while Jesus, stay, stay, stay with me on this, while Jesus was an heir of Joseph by adoption, hear this, hear this, he was not Joseph's blood descendant, but the Messiah had to come from the line of David. So blood descendant from the line of David had to be through Mary. Mary. Here's what we see in, um, in the, in the gene- genealogies. Jesus shared a physical relationship with his mother Mary. And in Mary's genealogy in Luke's gospel, you also find that Mary descended from David. So Joseph descended from the line of David through his son Solomon. Mary descended from David through his son Nathan. Okay? Way to pay attention, that's good. Um, Jesus is an heir to the Davidic throne as a biological descendant of Mary, not Joseph. Here's why that matters. Here's why that matters. It could be asked, why did Matthew want us to know that Jesus was not physically related to Joseph? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it hurt his case that Jesus was the rightful king of Israel? It actually strengthens the case, it strengthens Matthew's argument to a Jewish reader who knew the Old Testament prophecies. And one of the Old Testament prophecies that we're gonna learn about right now, right, right now is a prophecy back from Jeremiah 22, verse 30. Before you get there, I want you to read in verse 11. It says, and Josiah, the father of, and the word is Jeconiah. Let's just call it that. And then I, in my Bible, the NIV, it has a, an A. And then down below, it has that is another way of writing the name. J-E-H-O-I-A-C-H-I-N. We'll say Jehoiakim, okay? So what I want you to do is I want you to circle, circle the name Jeconi in verse 11 and write Jeremiah 2230 down in your margin if you have a pencil or a pen. And now let's turn over to Jeremiah 22. Let's turn over to Jeremiah 22. Here's what a Jewish person who would have known the prophecy of Messiah, here's what they would have known. And these are things that we don't know because we're not Jewish and we didn't grow up with these things. But in verse 28, it says, is this man Jehoiakim, a despised broken pot? That's, that's, that's who is mentioned in Matthew 1. That's the same person. In the line of Joseph. So here's the prophecy of that specific line from David, verse 30. Read this with me. This is what the Lord says. Record this man as if childless, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime. For none of his offspring will prosper. None will sit on the throne of David or rule any more in Judah. So you can circle verse 30 and write Matthew 1, verse 11. So just to know you're paying attention, could Joseph, the father of Jesus, 
Could Joseph be the prophetic fulfillment of the Messiah? No. Why? Because he is from the line of this king that was cursed in Jeremiah 22. The Messiah has to come from the line of David biologically, but not from Joseph, from Mary, from Mary through Nathan to King David. And so, and so if Jesus had been a physical descendant of Joseph, then Jesus would have been prevented by that curse from occupying the throne of David. And any Jew, any Jew could have easily looked this up. Any Jew, most Jews would have known this already. And so to be sure, anyone that was critical of Jesus of Nazareth being Messiah would have pointed out right away, if they could have proved that Jesus was a bloodline descendant to Joseph all the way back to this king in Jeremiah 29, Jesus would not have been Messiah. And they would have certainly made this play They would have certainly made this play. So here's what Matthew does. He preempts any criticism or any skepticism by providing Joseph's genealogy and by doing so, demonstrate that Jesus was not a blood relative of Joseph. He was an heir through the line of Joseph because of adoption, but not by his own blood. Through Joseph, Jesus meets the requirements to be an heir of the throne, adoption, And through Mary, Jesus meets the requirement to be a physical descendant. Mary's genealogy doesn't go through Jehoiakim at all, clearing the way for Jesus to be Messiah. Ryan and I have been texting about this all week. So I pointed at him, he's laughing because he had questions about it. I was like, you know what? It's a good question. I've just kind of always thought it's through adoption. And then I start digging. I'm like, all week, I'm like, I'm texting him. I was like, I can't even wait till Sunday to tell you this. So we had a lot of great dialogue together, encouraging one another and the good news of the gospel that Jesus is Messiah. Okay, let's look at verse 17. That's pretty pretty cool to see, right? It's pretty cool to see and, and realize. Observations of the three groups of the 14 generations. This is the next verse, verse 17. And then Matthew says, and there were 14 generations in in all from Abraham to David. From those generations from Abraham to David was a growing uh, influence and power for Israel. It's so, I'm still getting used to these glasses. This is fantastic. And then I look at you and you're all blurry. A growing influence, a growing uh, power of Israel from Abraham to David. And then he goes to the next 14. And then 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, another 14. That is when Israel was losing power and influence and ultimately went to Babylon to be enslaved. And then 14 more, 14 from the exile, from the exile to the Christ. So when Israel went back to Israel to Christ, another 14 generations. Here's something that we don't know because we're not Jewish and many of us have not studied Hebrew. But Hebrew names can be assigned numeric values. Like your Hebrew name can be assigned a numeric value based on adding up the value of each letter in the name. So each letter in your name has a numeric value and then you can add all of the values to get one number. Just just curious, if we add up the Hebrew numbers for David's Hebrew name, guess what number we come up with? 14, 14. 
Matthew arranged his genealogy into three groups of 14 to speak out, son of David, son of David. Jesus is the son of David. Three times, 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. He is proclaiming, who is he proclaiming to? Jewish people, because he wants them to be convinced that Jesus is Messiah, and he is screaming to them, Jesus is the son of David, Jesus is the son of David, Jesus is the son of David. Messiah is here. Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise that God gave to bring Israel an eternal king. Hallelujah. David, David, David. Which, by the way, I'm off notes for a second. Right, we think about the story of Bathsheba, Uriah, David. We just, let's just hold that for a second. After those stories, after that brokenness, after that sin, do you know what the scriptures declare about King David? That he was a man after my own heart. Talk about redemption. Talk about restoration. Talk about opening our eyes up to the reality that no one, no story, and no circumstance is ever, ever, ever too far gone. Okay, last point. All, I, I didn't realize this till this past week. I mean, it makes sense. Like I knew it, but I never like grabbed onto it. All biblical genealogies culminate with this final scandalous grace genealogy of Jesus. Have you ever considered after, if you keep reading the New Testament after Matthew and Luke, Ma- Ma- Matthew 1, Luke 3, once you, once you get past those, you don't see another genealogy anywhere in the New Testament. You ever think about that? Every genealogy ends with Matthew 1, Luke 3. At the birth of the Messiah, they disappear from Scripture. Do we know anything about Peter's family? All we know is that he had a mother-in-law and Jesus healed her. We know no names. We know what happened in Capernaum. We don't know anything else. Paul, we know that Paul said of himself, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. So we know that he came, he was Jewish before the Damascus Road and then Jesus saved him and called him to, be, um, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. But we don't know anything, do we, about anyone related to Paul. Everything stops with Jesus. Once Christ was born, the only family line God recognizes is that which has its source in Christ. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Every person who believes in Jesus becomes, becomes a child of God by adoption. By adoption. The spirit of adoption. Uh, Genesis, or Galatians 3 or 4, Paul says, God has given us the spirit of adoption so that we can declare to the Father and call him Abba, Abba. Every person who believes in Jesus becomes a child of God, accepted into the royal lineage. We also are invited in and adopted in to the scandalous genealogy. You know what makes the genealogy scandalous? The fact that I'm in there. And I think sometimes what we can consider is like, oh my gosh, Tamar, I can't believe she's in there. Do you know what the work of grace does? The work of grace moves humility in our hearts to think less about Tamar and to go, I can't believe I'm in there. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. I can't believe that I gotta be adopted in. 
we are included. We are the royalty of God. We are the sons and daughters. We are co-heirs with Jesus in the kingdom, the royal, eternal kingdom of God. King Jesus knows your name. He knows your name. And he knows your story. John 1, 11. Jesus, Jesus came to his own. First son of David came to his own, the Jews. Then son of Abraham. Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him, but to all, all, son of Abraham, who did receive him, to those who believed in his name. The work is to believe. The work is to believe. Who believe in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. You have been given a spirit of adoption. Children born not of blood, nor of the desire or the will of men, but born of God, born again born again of the Spirit. I just want to read uh, the last kind of three verses of Matthew. This is the birth story of Jesus, verses 18 to 25. Read this. If you haven't read this already this week, later. But let me just finish with verses 22 to 25. Worship team, you guys can come back up. All of this took place, all of this, all these stories, all this scandal, all this stuff, all this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet, the virgin will be a child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name, he gave him the name that is above every name. Joseph gave the son the name that is above every name. The Greek form of the Jewish name Joshua. When Jesus was on the earth, they called him Yeshua. Yeshua which means, which means God is salvation. God is salvation. We have seen two people in Matthew chapter one that are like living while the story is written. Everyone else that's written in Matthew one has passed away. And the two living people that we see in Matthew one as this story is written is Joseph and Mary who become aware of who Jesus is by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to Mary to reveal Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes to Joseph to reveal Jesus. It is what the Holy Spirit does. The work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal, to show us who Jesus is, the God who saves. I think about Mary. She was a passive recipient of the Son of God in her womb. I think about Joseph, a passive recipient of being made aware of who Jesus is. I think about Matthew. Matthew was not having a quiet time in the Torah seeking after the Messiah when Jesus called him. 
Matthew was sitting at a tax booth betraying his Jewish people. He wasn't seeking after God. He was in his own betrayal. And Jesus said, Matthew, Levi, son of Alphaeus, follow me. Matthew was not looking for a savior, but the savior was looking for him. You didn't find God. You didn't. God found you. And he finds you again and again and again. He is relentless in his pursuit of your heart so that you would know God initiates and he pursues and he saves and he redeems and he restores. I think about Matthew 1. This isn't just this ancient historical account or some Jewish version story of like singing Kumbaya with all these ancient names. Matthew didn't write this to stimulate our minds or to tickle our funny bones about how these things played out. Matthew didn't write to do that. Matthew wrote the gospel to change people's hearts. Matthew wrote the gospel so that blind people could see. To move us out of darkness into the light of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, all Lord, thank you for your scandalous grace. Thank you that we have been reminded today of these broken stories that you have redeemed and that we also are called to be a part of your story and your family in the royal line. We bless your name. We thank you. Thank you, Jesus opening our eyes to the truth that you are the God of heaven and earth and that you have come to show us salvation. Jesus the Christ, Messiah, the Savior, Lord, we worship you now in response. We worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray.